Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Coming up this Sunday, we've got a gospel reading, which is one of those that is short, but it uh, it can strike fear into the hearts of the wealthy. Let me, uh, well, I'll, I'll read it to you in just a moment here, but to join me to discuss this uh parable of the foolish rich man, we'll have Peggy Stanton. Peggy is a dame of the Order of Malta. She was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent and has been uh, hosting many programs for us at Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. Peggy, good to have you again. Thanks. Thank you, Al. So good to be with you. Let me go and ahead. This and, is puzzling. <laughs> it is. It is. It's It's one of those short, punchy parables that mm-hmm. um, is, is easy to remember and... Uh, a little troubling to Uh apply. So let me go ahead and read it, and then uh, we'll converse. Someone in the crowd, this is Luke chapter 12, by the way, beginning at verse 13 and going down to verse 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who's appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed, for though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, What shall I do, for I do not have space to store my harvest? And he said, This is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and other goods, and I shall say to myself, Now, as you have so many good things stored up for many years, rest, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for all who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. So there we have it. Uh, (laughs) Jesus... uh, has I always love these people in the crowd who shout out to Jesus or the Pharisees <laughs> who have these questions to Jesus. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as unusual as it might sound. People often would grab a rabbi and say, hey, give me a reading on this rabbi. I got my right. brother here. Mm-hmm. And he's not sharing the inheritance with me. So <laughs> settle this legal question. Right. And so, um, so Jesus takes that. But... Uh, Tell me, how's the catechism look on this passage? Well, you know, it's uh, interesting because, uh, as you say, it was a, it's a short gospel and and one we remember. Uh, and but it, it the catechism, uh, you know, we last week we had so much we didn't know <laughs> where to begin or end, but this week the really um, the the scripture only cites two particular passages in the catechism Mm -hmm. Uh, and the first let's look at the first one sure Uh, it says in economic matters and then Al think of the words that jump out at you as I read this and see if if uh, the same words that kind of jump out at me okay in economic matters respect for human dignity requires the practice of the virtue of temperance so as to moderate attachment to this world's goods, the practice of the virtue of justice to preserve our neighbor's rights and render him what is his due, and the practice of solidarity 
in accordance with the golden rule and in keeping with the generosity of the Lord, who, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What jumped out at you? Well, what, what jumped out at me was that how, uh, how social uh, th- this commentary is. I mean, mm-hmm. when, I read, when I read the passage here in the Gospel, I'm thinking of m- my, own, um, my own attachment uh, mm-hmm. to goods, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of, well, if I'm attached to goods, that must mean I'm committing an act of idolatry by not putting God in his proper place. But, mm-hmm. I'm, but what I'm not thinking is I'm not thinking that um, uh, the, the virtue of justice. I'm not mm-hmm. thinking of the virtue mm-hmm. of temperance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not thinking of how this affects the other people around me. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how it might affect God's judgment of me, mm-hmm. but not how you know, my attachment to material things might affect justice towards others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, so in, in that particular paragraph, we might be saying that our Lord is, is talking to us about, for instance, if that rich fool, as they call him, yeah. uh, had said, well, I've got all this wonderful grain. I should really look around and see who needs this of my right. neighbors. Right. And, and there's, let's give uh, lots of it away to the poor. Mm-hmm. But that was not the first thing on his mind. His no. mind was storing it up for himself. Right. So he could right. eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah. Which uh, I must say, <laughs> just a little sidebar, isn't it interesting that the author of uh, a text we always associate with frivolity <laughs> eat drink and be merry yeah. is jesus christ yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> yeah this is this is a, that's a phrase that is used actually a few times in the new testament jesus you know it's here in jesus's parable saint paul uses it in the first corinthians oh does he i yeah. didn't remember that i no. think i think the phrase as best as i i can see i've come across it a few times mm-hmm. apparently this was a phrase that was used in to to mock to mock Epicurean philosophers, who um, apparently this this is just one of those queer things that I came yeah. across in the last yeah. few weeks. Apparently, in the seventh century BC, there's an, a, a, some sort of king named mm-hmm. Sardanapalus, mm-hmm. who for I don't know much about him except that he was reputed to be a um, a pleasure seeker, mm-hmm. uh, playboy. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. and. In the first century, now again, this figure goes back to the seventh century BC. But in the first century, Plutarch apparently uses this seventh century figure as a way of mocking Epicurean philosophers. So they've got this debate going on between the Epicurean philosophers and those who believe that the, those who seek pleasure, mm-hmm. in the way that the Epicureans seek pleasure, uh, that they ought to be mocked as uh, loose. Uh, licentious uh, pleasure seekers. The Epicureans, for their part, deny that that's what they are. But the eat, drink, be merry, that's the, their enemies. That's the bumper sticker they put on their car. So. <laughs> well, and then they can always say, well, Jesus said it first. <laughs> right, right, of course. But he, of course, he didn't say it in praise either. No. But um, so then the, the next paragraph from the Catechism says, 
We must also face the fact that certain attitudes deriving from the mentality of, in quotes, this present world can penetrate our lives if we are not vigilant. For example, some would have it that the only truth is that which can be verified by reason and science, yet prayer is a mystery that overflows both our conscience and unconscious lives. Others overly, and this really applies to the gospel, others overly prize production and profit. Thus prayer, being unproductive, is useless. Still others exalt sensuality and comfort as the criteria of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Whereas prayer, the love of beauty, is it, it, the word for that in, in that Greek, philo... Philokalia. Philokalia, yeah. okay. is yeah. caught up in the glory of the living and true God. Yeah. Finally, some see prayer as a flight from the world in reaction against activism, but in fact, Christian prayer is neither an escape from reality nor a divorce from life. Well, wow. you know, you might say, well, how does that apply to that gospel? Well, you might well, you take a look at he didn't even think about praying. No, no. There were no prayer attached to that. Where's my soul going or anything? It's just uh, what I'm going to take care of my material goods. Well, it's actually the only person he addresses is himself. Yeah, that's you know? a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He doesn't think of anybody else. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, then we have, the, uh, I looked it up because we didn't have that much from the catechism. And the Magnificat has a uh, meditation from St. Alonzo, who mm-hmm. was a, an Augustinian friar. Are you familiar with him? Actually, I have not. Uh, your uh, note to me, uh, it's the first time that I've had that pointed out. Yeah, this yeah, is okay. a new, new guy to me. Right. <laughs> oh, August Alonzo Medal. Fifteen... Okay. <laughs> <15, laughs> Yeah, his, maybe his nickname was Al, too. <laughs> uh, anyway, he was 1591, Augustinian friar and, and a great preacher of the court of Spain under Charles V. And he says, the Lord warns us against allowing, he's specifically um, meditating on this gospel, allowing concern for temporal blessings received to cause distress. That's mm-hmm. a that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Would would that we were only constantly mindful in our hearts of the still greater blessings which this most generous of fathers bestows on us, lest being forgetful of them, we are more anxious than we should be about temporal goods which are so unimportant. Yeah. How foolish he says they are who do not entrust themselves to God with full confidence in the kindness of fathers. If we are to dispel vain anxiety, we need to think often of the blessings God bestows on us. Now, the, again, the rich man never thought of saying, thank you, no. God, for all these blessings. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it no, was a, that's right. As you said, he only addressed himself. And then Alonzo cites the ultimate gift of our Savior, who's given himself to us as food, so that daily we may eat his body and drink his blessed red blood. And it is given so that we, his children, may have unlimited hope in him and may not perish through lack of trust in him. That's it. Yeah. 
That's a good line, it isn't is. it? It is. Perish through lack, and it, 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 it's really at the heart of everything, I think, don't it, you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The, the sustained uh, union we have with him in faith is the, the, on, the only way to live a wise life. Um, once we lose that connection, that lack of trust in him, mm-hmm. uh, anxiety is bound to come our way. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting. The point, one of the points being made here too, is that uh, it Im- implied is that the more goods you have, the more anxiety will follow. Mm-hmm. Which, in mm-hmm. fact, mm-hmm. many people who don't have a lot of goods think they're going to be a lot better off. They just need more goods. <laughs> they don't yeah. realize that the more goods you get, the more you worry. You uh, do. About them. Yeah. Yeah. Am I going to lose them? And should I make an investment? Should I take it out of the stock market? Put it in the stock yeah. market? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so he says, why should we exhaust ourselves for corruptible food when we are fed at the sacred altar of the nectar, sweet food of the angels? So our, our question then, um, I don't think or that the Lord is necessarily saying that those of us in the laity are supposed to give up everything mm-hmm. and not, you know, live on the street corner because h- how does that look? <laughs> and then, I mean, um, well, I, I actually did that for a year and when you? I was 17. Really? <laughs> and it looks pretty irresponsible. When I was that age, I would say I was irresponsible. Yeah. Well, you, you did it as an experiment or you didn't have any money and you had to live there? Uh, that, I, I didn't want to be burdened with lots of things. I was a uh-huh. struggling musician uh-huh. and didn't wasn't successful enough to actually get enough money to rent an apartment. So I spent, <laughs> I spent a year bopping around. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a long story. We I don't want to get us off track here, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's pertinent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I <clears throat> went. I uh, was just a little while ago. Went in, in front of the tabernacle, and I said, "Look, Lord, these are your words we're dissecting here, and this is pretty important. We're not talking about you. We're talking your words. So uh, help us out here." <laughs> and you know, the word that popped up—just one word popped up—detachment. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good word. Yeah, and it, it really does apply uh, to this. Uh, if one is detached uh, from material possessions, you avoid the sin of greed. Mm-hmm. And also, as St. Paul says, covetousness is like idolatry. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Peggy, thanks. Thank you, Al.